0: chief of his court officials to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table they were to be trained for 3 years and after that they were to enter they were to enter the king's service among these were some from Judah Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah the chief official gave them new names to Daniel the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah Shadrach to Mishael Meshach and to Azariah Abednego and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Almighty God. May you find comfort and a strong faith as you hear them. So today we begin a new series on the book of Daniel. And Daniel is an interesting book for a number of reasons. First, it was written in two different languages. First, in Aramaic and in Hebrew. And... This only makes sense because Daniel, he would have grown up speaking Hebrew, but would have had to learn Aramaic under his Babylonian captors. And although Daniel is a prophetic book, it doesn't always read like the prophets do. It can be categorized into two literary genres. The first six chapters are historical narrative, very easy to understand. The last six is what is termed apocalyptic writing, similar to what you would find in the book of Revelation. And the first six chapters are easy to understand, but the last six, they can be confusing because Daniel uses a lot of symbolism and imagery to communicate things that are hard for the human mind to comprehend naturally. In this book, it begins during the time of the Babylonian captivity of Judah, around the year 605 B.C., nearly 600 years before the birth of our Lord. And it concludes shortly after the Persian conquest of Babylon, around the year 530 B.C. So this book spans roughly 75 years. The major emphasis of the book of Daniel is God's sovereignty in times of trouble. God's sovereignty in times of trouble. From our earthly perspective, things often seem chaotic, as if the world is out of control. Yet from a heavenly perspective, we find that God is actually the one who is pulling the strings, using the deeds, both wicked and worthy, to bring about his purposes so, with that in- introduction, let's see what we can learn from Daniel chapter 1. What does Daniel have to teach us? Imagine, imagine it is 605 BC. And nearly 100 years earlier, the northern kingdom of Israel was captured and destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. But now, this southern kingdom of Judah is under a different pressure from a different kingdom the Babylonians. And this is all brought about because God's people refuse to follow him alone. Instead, they are following after other gods. They become idolaters. Even King Jehoiakim, he doesn't trust in God for victory. Instead, he runs to the Egyptians, seeking out their help in his times of trouble. But Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he has gone out with his armies, and he has defeated the Egyptians. So on his journey home, he decides to pay a visit to Jerusalem in order to subdue this unruly Jewish king. This is the context of our passage for today. Let's look at the beginning of our story once more, verses 1 and 2. that he sought help from the Egyptians. So when a show of strength and power, he decided that Judah needed to be disciplined. He besieged the city and he ransacked the temple and took off with the vessels from the house of the, house of the Lord. He obviously didn't have much respect for Yahweh, God of the Jews. He didn't fear any retribution after all, he just defeated a powerful nation like Egypt with the help of his gods. So how could, how could the God of a tiny nation like Judah stand in his way? But what does the text say? The Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. If you're going to understand the book of Daniel, you cannot overlook a passage like this. This is what the whole book is about, God's sovereignty. Nebuchadnezzar, he may have thought that it was his mighty power that he defeated the Jews. But we see here that it was Yahweh, the God of the Jews, who orchestrated this whole event. Nebuchadnezzar, he is just a pawn in God's plan. So God used him to bring about judgment to Judah. And in fact, God had purposed this very event not only for judgment, but to work out his plan of salvation throughout the whole earth. And as we work through the book of Daniel, this will become more and more evident. Let's read further. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. From this passage, we can see that Daniel and his friends are not common Jews. No, in fact, they are the elite. They either have royal blood or they have some type of nobility. And not only that, the text says that they are without any physical defect. They're handsome. They they show aptitude for learning. They're well-informed. They're quick to understand. They are the ones will be competent to stand before a king and advise him. They are the best physically, mentally, and socially. Nebuchadnezzar is a cunning king, is he not? He's doing two things here. First, he's weakening Judah by taking away the best of the best. Second, he is strengthening Babylon by indoctrinating these young men I mean, who better to give advice on ruling Judah than people who grew up there? And once they have learned the ways of the Babylonians, then they'll be very, very useful servants to him. But what does this mean for these four young men? Think about it. They are torn away, not only from their homeland, but from their families as well. They're forced to learn a new language new ways of life. And the text says that they're put under the command of Ashpenaz, the chief official. Now, the the NIV is using pretty modest language here. If you dig into the original Hebrew, it reads that Ashpenaz was the chief of the eunuchs. Most likely, Daniel is telling us in his own subtle way that they had the surgery performed on them as well top things off, they're all given new names, ripping away any shred of their Jewish identity. Let, let's compare these names for a minute. Hananiah, it means Yahweh has been gracious. His new name is Shadrach, which means the command of Aku, which is a foreign deity. Mishael means who is what God is. Meshach means who is like Aku. Azariah means, Yahweh is my help. Abednego means, servant of Nabu, another foreign deity. And finally, we get to Daniel. Daniel's name means, God is my judge. Belteshazzar means, Lady Bel, protect the king. A third foreign deity. So you can see everything about these men's lives have changed down to their very name. Think about it. How would you respond if you were in their shoes? What would you be feeling? What would be the questions going through your mind, particularly questions about God? Has God turned his back on us? Why has he put us in this situation? Have we fallen away from God's favor? Now that we're so far away from Jerusalem and the temple, can God even hear our prayers? What will be our future? Is God still with us? What are the questions you ask yourself when you face trials and tribulation and pain in this life? Do you blame God? Does your faith in God wane? You see, Daniel and his friends, their their lives have been turned upside down. And they now need to figure out how to be faithful Jews in a land, in a people that are hostile to God. We can learn much from these young men. Let's see what they do. Look again, verses 8 through 14. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance to what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. Now we're not exactly sure what it was about the king's food, and his wine that would defile these young men. Mostly, it had something to do with the dietary laws of the nation of Israel. But whatever the case, Daniel seemed to think that this food and this wine would defile them in some manner. And he was determined to trust God with this situation. So he asked the chief of the eunuchs to restrict their diet. Now imagine if Nebuchadnezzar heard about Daniel's opinion of his food and wine. What do you think the king's reaction would be? Probably not a good one, huh? I mean, Daniel—he's taking a big risk here, just even asking for this. Yet we see that God showed favor to Daniel through Ashpenaz. Ashpenaz—he—he he doesn't report Daniel to the king. Yet this man still feared the king more than this God of the Jews. And so he denied Daniel's request. So Daniel, he had to look for another, another route. He asked the guard who was assigned to him if he could restrict them for 10 days to test them. This guard showed him favor and agreed to it. Now, Daniel and his friends, they would see if God was still with them. Does God still hear their prayers? Look at verse 15. At the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Daniel and his friends, they get their answer. Yahweh is not just God of Israel and Judah. He isn't limited to this geographical region. He is God over the whole earth. Just as God was with Israel in the wilderness as they fled from Egypt, God is now with these four young men as they are captive in Babylon. And just as God fed the nation of Israel with manna in the desert, so too God is miraculously nourishing these young men. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I mean, they were eating nothing but vegetables and drinking water. Yet they they didn't lose weight, but became fatter. How does that work? Only by the power of God. Daniel isn't giving us a prescription of what we should eat. But what he is telling us is that no matter how dire your circumstances are, God is with you. In times of trouble and persecution, God comes alongside his people. He looks out for them. And no matter where you find yourself, whatever the trouble is, God, he's orchestrated it for his greater purpose, which is the salvation of For all who call on the name of the Lord. But not only is God with you, but he suffers alongside you. In our New Testament reading for today, we we saw that Saul, he was on his way to Damascus. To persecute Christians. To persecute the church. Yet he was confronted by the resurrected Jesus. And what did Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul replied, who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Don't you see? As Christians, we are united with Christ. When we suffer, he suffers alongside us. He shares in our suffering. Jesus didn't say to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting my church? He says, why do you persecute me? Where's God in all of this? He is right beside you, experiencing your pain, Yet in his sovereignty, he has also ordained this very path for you. This diet that Daniel and his friends, that, that they took, it was a sign from God. A comfort in their time of need. Even though God has brought about judgment to Judah, he has not abandoned his people. And this is what God is teaching us through Daniel. Though we may suffer, there is purpose behind it. And God is right there with you, sharing in your pain. Let's continue. Verses 16 and 17. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. God has proven Himself to be with these four men, and they're three and for three years they continued on in their training under the Babylonians. Yet it's not this training that sets them apart. Rather, it's God's blessing upon their life. God is the one who gave them knowledge and instruction and learning. And in particular, God gave to Daniel understanding and visions and dreams of all kinds. And this is very important for the rest of the book, as we'll see. Daniel is unique among the four. And God will use this gift to propel him to the top levels of Babylon, and later in Persia as well. Through Daniel, God, this God of the Jews, will be known and revered by the most powerful kings the world has ever seen. Verses 18 to 20. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now that their three years of training are over, they have come before the king. And what does the text say? None of them, none are found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're ten times better God has chosen them to have positions of influence for his purposes. You see, this isn't just about them. It's about God positioning them in places of power to bring about his plan of salvation. The last verse, verse 21. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And finally, we see that God keeps Daniel in this position of high power and influence over the kings throughout the whole, whole tenure of Babylonia and up through the, the, rule, the beginning rule of Persia when King Cyrus would take his, take his reign. And this is all done about to bring about God's plan of salvation. I keep repeating this, and you may be wondering why. Let me explain. You see, Israel, they were supposed to be a light for God to this world. They were to proclaim God and his sovereignty and his salvation and his greatness to all the other nations. Yet they failed miserably at this. Yet God is not thwarted by the failings of men. And he used their idolatry to not only bring about judgment, but he was able to spread out his chosen people among the known world. Some were dislocated by force like Daniel and his friends. Others fled from the coming wrath to countries like Egypt, to Greece. And by the time the the Jews regained their homeland, many of them had already settled down and did not want to go back. Those who stayed abroad, they, they never left their true faith in God. In fact, the persecution that they faced, it only strengthened their faith. And because the temple had been destroyed, they had established synagogues throughout the world as a new way to worship Yahweh. And these synagogues were like little light posts for God's glory. Jump forward 600 years from the Babylonian exile. And we see God's plan of salvation come into fruition through his son, Jesus Christ. He took on the sin of the world and died on the cross for your trespasses. Three days later, he rose from the dead and made himself known to many. Those who witnessed his resurrection traveled throughout the known world, proclaiming this good news. But where did they go? They went first to these synagogues, these little light posts that God had established during the time of Daniel, 600 years before he sent his son. This message of Jesus is spread far and wide. And today, we, we are the benefactors of Daniel's misfortune. God's providence is seen in suffering But Daniel, he's just a shadow pointing you to the one who who truly suffered for you. Just as Daniel was ripped away from his homeland, Jesus, he left his heavenly kingdom and came to this earth. He came to a place that was hostile towards him. And just as Daniel was ripped from his royal lineage and made to become a servant, so too... (laughs) Christ he humbled himself and became a servant to all. And just as Daniel suffered under the knife made to become a eunuch, Jesus gave up his own flesh on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Though the works of men may be wicked and cruel, God has used such acts to bring about his salvation. And this is no more evident than at the cross. There we see the providence of God clearly expressed. The wickedness of men is great. And they had placed judgment upon their God, upon their maker. And they sentenced him to death. You and I, we have sentenced Jesus to the cross because of our sins. Yet God ordained this from the beginning in order for your salvation. This is why Daniel and his friends suffered at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. It was so that this good news, this gospel message would spread throughout the whole world. This is why Christ was nailed to that cross so that the wrath of God would no longer be directed at you, but be upon his son, that your sins might be washed away through his blood. How great is our God that even in the midst of suffering, he brings purpose to it. Even during your trials and your tribulation, he is right there beside you, suffering along with you. Brothers and sisters, friends, put your trust in the only one who can save. Put your trust in Jesus, for he is right there with you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have come alongside us in our trials, in our anguish. When we are persecuted, you are right there, suffering with us. We ask that you would renew our hearts by the work of your Holy Spirit, and form us into your image. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.